This is the Nintendo Show, the best damn Nintendo podcast on the internet. This is going to be the mini show for the month of November 2023. And we got a bunch of things to talk about. We'll talk about whatever we damn well please on this mini show. But we got some uh, tier rankings to go through. Again, we got uh, four more games on the docket to get into our Nintendo rankings. Uh, I got a bunch of games to talk about. And, you know, anything you guys want to talk about as well. I think I have one game to talk about. Cool. Um, I have nothing. You'll, you'll have something. If something but, pops up, I'll let you know. But right now, I don't, I, I've just been playing Baldur's Gate as usual. That's it. But before we get into it, you guys want to time capsule this one? Oh, time capsule. Let's do it. I don't have anything political this time. This is all baseball. The Texas Rangers won the World Series I, in I five, mean, I don't care. <laughs> five games. And in the last yeah. two games, it wasn't even really competitive. Uh, the Red Sox fired their president of baseball operations, Heim Bloom, and hired a new one, Craig Breslow. The Cubs hired a new manager before they remembered to fire their old one. Got a little awkward. That's actually not the order that things happened. But uh, it, it was it was really weird because they weren't like really looking for a new manager. But then this guy who was the, who's the longtime manager of the uh, Pirate, no, the sorry, the the Brewers, the Milwaukee Brewers. Um, started like kind of job hunting, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we'll hire you." And then like had to call up their their current now former manager David Ross and be like, "Hey, we found somebody else, so go ahead and clean out your desk." Oof. Yeah. And Is this like when uh, Kevin McCarthy moved into the speaker's <laughs> office before <laughs> the eighteen rounds of voting? Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, that guy's such a fucking loser. Yeah. And, hey, remember him? <laughs> and the New York Yankees just keep on stepping in it. They had uh, an awkward couple of days where it just kind of seems like they're a directionless franchise. They don't really know how to build a team. They don't need. They don't really know how to handle the press. They just kind of seem adrift right now. And I'm 100% in for it. I, I nice. love it. I love how inept the Yankees have been for the past decade or so. It has been great. Have they tried throwing more money at the problem? Not really, which is so strange. That's like their thing, really? but they haven't really like overspent, um, which, which is like kind of uh, what some Yankees fans kind of feel like the solution to the problem should be now is to just go start getting anybody you can. But they've, I don't know if it's been like an intentional thing, like they're trying to be more frugal. Um or, or if it's that they just can't attract any free agents. There have been a, uh, a couple of players. Uh, the one that comes to mind immediately is uh, Vlad Guerrero Jr., who plays for Toronto, who has come out and said, like, no, I'll never play for the Yankees. I don't like them. So they seem <laughs> to have, like, a tainted brand at this point. You know, it's funny because that's kind of the problem with the Knicks. Yeah. The Knicks are kind of a cursed franchise in that regard, too, because, like, you know, they they play in the garden. It's regarded as, you know, a hallowed grounds for basketball. 
Um, but their fans are loyal to a fault. Or not loyal to a fault, they're fanatics. They're the true definition of fans, right? They're just... They're, they are so overboard and can't handle losing. And then they just, you know... It's it's just, a, yeah, it's, it's too much pressure It's a, on any player when you can just, like, go play in somewhere that's, you know, expectations are lower or just a cooler place to be, mm-hmm. so... I don't know. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised to hear that the Yankees have that reputation. It's hard to live up to the pinstripes. Yeah. But, you know, now we're entering every baseball fan's favorite time of year, which is the off season. <laughs> you know, getting to all the team building and stuff. Yeah. It's going to be it's going to be good. It's going to be a good off season. Well, late October really is, like, the best time of year if you're a sports fan because, like, everything is happening. Mm. Like, football's going on. The basketball season started. Baseball's in the playoffs. Hockey's started. Like, it's all happening. Indeed. So, yeah. Um, but hey, let's uh, let's talk about some video games. Wes, how's Mario Wonder? I haven't played much at all. Sad. Well, I mean, I, I played a little bit, um, and like I'm about up to that first castle with the piranhas and everything. But no, it's a lot of fun. It, it's it is a, a goofy little, especially when you hit those wonder seeds. Um, just just chaos happens. So I, I'm excited to see where this game goes. Um, Baldur's Gate takes up so much of my attention. <laughs> it's definitely a beefier game, just in terms of the scope of it. Yeah, I'm going to say they're two different styles of games. They're very, very they're different. And what totally I, different. What I need to do is just because I haven't been like pouring. Next week I'm off, and I haven't been pouring a whole lot of time in Baldur's Gate because. I've played so much of it, so I'm starting to slow back on it. And what I need to do is just play Baldur's Gate for a little bit, and then like end the night with a nice couple Mario levels just to relax at as the a, end of it. Because yeah, Baldur's Gate gets stressful <laughs> when you're sitting there like, why won't they die? <laughs> Stop exploding, you cowards! Like it, it's yeah. Well, I feel like uh, with Mario, like for starters, like I don't know what your runtime on it was, John, but like. I like pretty much 100% of the whole game maybe in 10 to 12 hours. Mm-hmm. Like it's not it's not doesn't take that long yeah. to get through it. Like, you know, even with again trying to get all of the individual level achievements and unlocking all of the levels. It's a brisk game, you know. And they've they've made it very clear checklist style what you need to do to progress in the game. So, you know. Did you did you make any more attempts at the final final challenge? Oh, I have not. No, I set that aside, and I am just like maybe if I feel a little sadistic, I'll pick it up at some point. But I'm comfortable with having not beat that one. <laughs> yeah, don't, just say don't worry. Next I, time we meet in person, yeah. I'll take care of it for you. I'll knock that level right out first attempt. Like simple. we had to do with like the the, the chocobo racing in Final Fantasy Ten. <laughs> oh, yep, yep. I'll take care of that. Chocobo racing is <laughs> but, my more my forte. But you know, like I that, think... that's something I would put on a resume. <laughs> like I, I have a bunch of years in retail experience. I can do chocobo racing. I can beat the hard level in Mario Wonder. You know, that's just I'm what people want to hire. I, I am. Uh, I wonder if the uh, the final final challenge in Mario Wonder might be easier with multiple people. Not like everything leading up to the final final, like to, to the last stretch of that challenge, but just like the last level in general, because. Or the last bit, because you have to be invisible and just kind of like increase your odds of someone making it to the end by just having more people there. 
I think it would be nice to do it just as a as an act of attrition to not have to just churn levels mm. over and over again. But like to just pass the controller around, then everybody gets a shot until you get to the next checkpoint. Mm. You know, I feel like that would be a, a good way to go about it. Um, but yeah, yeah, and like the game itself is not really hard. Like aside that, that is obviously a very very brutal r- boss rush essentially for um, a Mario level. But the rest of the game was fairly easy, mm-hmm. honestly. Like. It wasn't that bad. Yeah, I don't think there are any particular levels that took me like more than four or five tries to hundred percent. Oh yeah, and and I'd say half of them I probably got on the first run. Mm-hmm. Like you know, if you just kind of look around, you kind of get used to where they hide things, and they telegraph a lot of where secrets are. So um, you know, oh, and and for what it's worth, like um, I wasn't I wasn't kidding. Like when I tried to do that, I went from like eighty five lives to twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, I found a great place to just let the game give you lives. Oh, go on. If you have an auto controller. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so well, it's there's this one level. Do you, you know have auto controllers, a, man? <laughs> it, I realized I could do this, and I was just like, oh yeah, for sure I'll do this. Um, so there's this one. <coughs> excuse me. They're in the magma world, which is like you know I don't I'm not gonna spoil too much, but there is that magma world, which is like World Six. Spoiler: um, There's and, lava levels in Mario Wes. Oh yeah. no! I mean, actually, it might not be the lava. It actually might be in the aisle, like mm. the main aisle that wraps around the thing. One of those levels has bullets that shoot at you, and then there's big bullets, right? And they're like heat seeker ones. Oh, okay. Like chase your character down. Um, and there's this one spot where it's just sort of this rotating cannon that keeps shooting them out. And if you have the coin per, like the the coin item equipped, that gives you extra coins for getting kills. Um. And you have, um, I was using Daisy, I guess, but whatever character, um, in her elephant form. Um, and then you have the auto controller just set to hit, the, hit, like, have her, like, do her little trunk attack. They will continue to shoot them at you, and everyone will give you five coins. And then coins give you lives. So... I literally just set it up there where I put her in the thing where like they kept the machine just kept shooting bullets at her and because it was using the attack as quickly as it could it meant that they could never get through and eight hours so basically, later and it averaged it took takes about 45 seconds to get one life so I racked up uh, 80 lives in about an hour I just let it run and then walked away and ate lunch and came back and there you go. Daisy's I'm, I'm still there. Elephant Daisy's <laughs> just exhausted. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna hack oh, all these good. food in Zelda so I can run faster than a horse, and then <laughs> I'm gonna auto steal a bunch of bombs from this goblin. I'm gonna have my elephant it's, Daisy just. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, it's uh. <laughs> Auto controllers are fun, I guess. Is what I'm saying. It's funny that you, yeah. you mentioned that Zelda West because I actually did plug in Tears of the Kingdom again last night. Yeah. After taking like some time off after we finish it, and I, I found uh, I pretty much like to looked up uh, a checklist of the gear of all the armor pieces, and I was like, okay, I'm gonna start collecting a bunch of these. And of course, I had a, a lot of them already, but like, okay, I need this one to complete this set, and just started going through, and ended up uh, found a couple more caves that I just completely walked by i checked my hero's path and like oh yeah the cave is right there i walked right by it but was too dense to just look to my right and see if there's a cave there um so i think uh 
I have most of the sets complete now. I still have to finish the Zonai set. Um, and then some of like the the sets, like the legacy sets from like uh, Skyward Sword and Twilight Princess and all those. Uh, other than that, I think I have most everything. And then um, after that, I... Th- Do you remember? Oh, God. After that, I think I might just start cave hunting. If you're, well, two things. If you're going to do the cave hunting, set the bubble frog to your your radar, and that really, really helps. It won't tell you where the entrance is, but it'll let you know if there's an entrance. There should be an entrance somewhere around you. And have you done the one that is like all about shadows? Like how you have to block a shadow with tree trunks? That one was ruthless. That one was awful. Is that for? I think it's for gear. Yeah, it's. I th- I want to say is it he has like some weird outfit that makes him look like a little green elf. Like tingle. I mean, they're they're they're, they're elves. Yeah, is that what tingle is or it tingle? a tingle outfit? Yeah, I think it's a ting- one of the tingle pieces. I don't think I have any of those yet. So it's a weird one where what you have to do is basically stick together end to end like five logs. And hold them up in like such a weird way. That oh, I did do that cr- one. Creates a shadow. That it's goes in, from, it's like, in that in that thunder area. Yeah, that's yeah. it. With the big like mushroom it's cap looking. Really things. annoying. I I didn't like I didn't like that one at all. It took me so long. Yeah, it really is one that expects you to, you know, know know the physics of how these stupid things work. Not great. Yeah, it's a. Uh... You remember the in the Thunder? Was it Thunder Plains? Are you talking about in, in Breath of the Wild, Tears of the Kingdom? Yeah, in both of them, obviously. I think it might but, be um, Thunder Plains. It, it's just this weird little platform, and it's got those um, different stone statues around it mm-hmm. that have like the lizard heads. You have to like stick a bunch of uh, like tree logs together to make a shadow to go across it at a certain point in the day, even. Yeah, mm, and then like a thing will open up, and you can go underground and uh, get the armor piece. It, it's it sucked. Yeah, that one wasn't great. The yeah. Zonai one is worth it though. The Zonai art. The Zonai is, is. I use the Zonai quite sick. a bit all the time, <laughs> but my battery's huge now, so like who cares? But mm. early in the game, it was really helpful. Yeah, I'm, I think I'm like a hundred little uh, chunks of those triangles away from having max battery. Yeah, I just I honestly just buy them. Mm. I, just, I just go to the the shops and I buy them. That was the easiest way to max out the battery. Yeah. Tears of the Kingdom is so good. How do you feel about people acting like uh Wonder might be better than Tears of the Kingdom? Uh, again, like it's it's a weird comparison to make. Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. I don't know. Like, you you it's okay to like both games. There's there's it's probably not new. It's probably not a new phenomenon, but there's like uh, uh, a desire to have like the hot take. Like this is the best game of the year. Like there can be more than one really good game every year. It's okay, mm-hmm. and it's okay to like yeah. more than one. You can you can like whatever you want the most, but other people can like the opposite if they feel like it, and it doesn't mean yeah, either but, one of you are wrong. But what I what I like is the best. Yeah, absolutely. Wes, make the definitive answer right now. Oh, no, better. don't put that. I mean, Baldur's Gate. <laughs> oh, no, no, you get off this podcast oh, right now. Ooh, ooh. How dare you? It's the mini show. I'm safe here. It seems like there have been a lot of games coming out this year that people have been really happy with. Mm-hmm. Like, you like that Baldur's Gate 
game a lot. People are really talking up something called Starfield. They really don't know anything about it. But it's essentially. I, I don't want to make this comparison because I, I don't know a whole lot on it. It's on my list of games to play eventually, but it's an Xbox exclusive. Yeah, <laughs> because it's a Bethesda so, game. Get used to it. Because it's a Bethesda game. You son of a bitch, Sean. Um, but this is a like a vague comparison, but it's like a Skyrim in space. Exciting. That kind of game, which is why it's on my list. But eventually, when there's enough exclusives on the Xbox, I'll pull the trigger on the the digital one because it's only 300 bucks it's not that bad i mean um, it's interesting i will buy the disc version that's i don't need to spend 500 bucks on that but i'll wait till there's a enough exclusives to justify it it's interesting that there's people talking about that game for for game of the year and has a metacritic score of 83 that's that's, respe- do, that's respectable it do, but it didn't do great because because it's an Xbox game. <laughs> I, I yeah. just hear different things about it. Like space travel, the game is almost unplayable if you don't fast travel, I hear. Because um, it, it literally would take actual days to get places. Um, you know, stuff like that. Okay. I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I don't know too much about this game. There's a horror game. Too. I think Al- is it Alan Wake 2? People say that one's really, really good. Oh, yeah. I've heard good things about that one. And then everyone's like, the Spider-Man game's really good. Mm-hmm. So it just seems like there's a lot of... There's a new Souls-like kind of game, but it's not in the same franchise. It's it's a, a new Lords of the Fallen. That one looks pretty good. I actually saw a, a review for a, a Souls-like game. I forget what it was called, though, but it was on the Switch, and it, it, it made me think that you might like it. I'll have to track down the hmm. title. I did play a different Zelda game as well. They added those uh, those Oracle, Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons game to the Switch Online thing. I played through Oracle of uh, Seasons, which uh, before this I thought was the weaker of the two. I, learned, I, I played this game like three, maybe four times before uh, all the way through. But something about it this time, like I think that just the world design is kind of haphazard and one of the, the weaker games in the series. When you th- Even when you compare it to other like Game Boy Zelda games like uh, Link's Awakening, Oracle of Ages. It just seems like uh, it's a, a really... Uh, n- nothing's really zoned properly. When you're playing through those other two Game Boy games, like, and you're like, okay, I need to... The, the game is telling me, go to this area next and find the thing. Um, and there's, there's a sort of like uh, coherence to the way things are laid out in those games. Whereas an Oracle of Seasons just kind of like, I don't know, everything's just kind of all over the place. There's nothing that really differentiates these zones from each other other than the default season that it is when you go there. And then when you like leave that zone and come back, the seasons all reset to their defaults, even if you change them around already. And, and because they, they do that... Uh, the, the main mechanic of the game is that you have this this rod and it controls the seasons. When you jump up onto a tree stump and swing the rod, it'll cycle through the seasons that you are that that are the the main template of the zone. And things will change around. Like in springtime, there'll be like these spring flowers that can shoot you up cliffs. In fall, there will be mushrooms that you can pluck up. Whereas in other seasons, there's stones that so kind of like gets those things out of your way to clear a path. Uh, in winter, there might be a snow pile you can walk over to clear a gap. So it, it gives you these uh, different environments to cycle through in order to be able to progress to the next area. But a lot of the traversal is based around having the correct season at your disposal 
in that zone. So it doesn't do the the typical Zelda thing that you think of where like, okay, now I have the new tool. I went to this dungeon, now I have my new I got, you know, my, my hook shot, my, my my cape and whatever to uh, overcome an obstacle and explore a new area. So you end up getting these these tools, you get like your, your slingshot and shit, but you don't really ever use them in order to explore the world. Um, and then, then there, there's this, this whole underground area that isn't really, isn't like a dark world, isn't like an inverse type of area, but it's like a whole different map that has different entry and exit points onto the overworld. It, it just kind of feels like this game was thrown together from different Zelda games that they might have been working on. And like one of the other things about like these these Oracle games that came out at the same time Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons. We talked about that on the retro show a little while back. And at the time when they were under development, they were actually think trying to do a, a trilogy, a trio of games to release at the same time, but they only end up releasing two of them. And then a little bit before that they were also doing a full remake of the original Legend of Zelda on NES. And you can see a lot of the remnants of the remake in Oracle of Seasons because the first dungeon you go into is just a remake of the first dungeon in the Legend of Zelda for NES. So it, it makes me wonder if um, this Oracle of Seasons game became this amalgamation of different ideas they had from that remake and from like the 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 canceled oracle game that never got released um i don't know it's just kind of a kind of a messy game definitely like within mm. definitely like a c tier zelda game um i don't know i i'm looking it up here and i see that there's a kangaroo there's a kangaroo boxing gloves and you're telling me c tier so, so here, here's the what? thing here, here's the thing yeah we we can talk about ricky his name is ricky Can kangaroos are a canonical animal in zelda yes. by the way yes 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 as are like Triceratops hippos and flying bears. Yes, that, so, that one's so there too. In in the Oracle games, both Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons, there are these animal buddies that you'll team up with uh, at one point throughout the game, and then once you've uh, teamed up with all of them, you, you get like a, the the scripted event where you know you, you run into the bear in this spot, you run into the the, the dinosaur fish thing in this spot. Uh, one, once you have your encounters, you then get the chance to get an item that will summon one of them. And depending on where and when you pick up that item, it will determine which one gets summoned for the rest of the game. So obviously you want to pick up the item at the correct spot so that you always get the kangaroo. Um, and that's But like kangaroos like don't even have like kangaroos attack with their legs. Yeah. Like kangaroos have like little little T Rex arms. Yeah. You don't you don't need. Maybe that's why they need the gloves to extend their arms. And, that's, and that makes it even more terrifying because now they use their arms and their feet. Right. And, he, and he's, but they have boxing gloves that soften the blow. <laughs> well, there there's it's actually just a rock at the end of it. So I mean, it's just. Yeah, they do it so guys can box for thirty minutes and not die, like. <laughs> or break their hands. <laughs> right. Or break their hands. Or like yeah, absolutely ruin their faces. So, I guess um, you sold me on it. This is a great game. <laughs> you said this is this is probably like on par with Breath of the Wild, Oracle of Ages for sure. Yes, <laughs> Seasons is not the one to play through. Ages is definitely. And who's, who's this? Who's this lady wearing her Jazzercise outfit? What is what is going on with this cast? Of Oracle Oracle of Ages is, is really cool because it actually is like a whole like light and dark world, like a link to the past, where you have like 
uh, the, the the present day, and then you get like your your musical instrument that takes you back into the past, and things you do in the past will affect the things in the in the present. And you have to take on dungeons at different points in the game. It just feels like a more cohesive, like fully realized version of a Zelda game. And Ricky is in it too, and he's got his boxing gloves, and he can actually charge up a punch and shoot a tornado out. Like he's a kangaroo oh, yeah. that like yes they attack with their legs but he's trying to become like more like he's got a whole story arc where he really wants to be a boxer and like through your help he finds his gloves and then he helps you go on adventuring and eventually at the end of the game you take on the final boss and it becomes a famous boxer. I made that up. <laughs> I was gonna say did, did, they, did they establish that the Queensberry's rules are like valid and is he a pugilist in a traditional sense? No, wow. no, they they don't go. It seems, uh, it seems to me like this is a, a game. Knowing literally nothing about it, so stop me if I'm talking out of my ass here. But it seems like the whole thing that they wanted to do with this game is showcase like what a Game Boy Color can do, and that it's really nice having four different environments with drastically different color palettes. Mm, maybe you know, it it seems like it sort of showcases because the art looks really really nice on it. I mean. For a Game Boy Color game, it looks pretty cool, yeah, and you can sure. just like see different environments how they go from really diff- really vibrant colors, and in autumn it looks totally different than winter. But yeah, I don't know. Ryan, you got anything on tap? The games I've been playing. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I I bought it a long time ago, and I just never actually bothered to unwrap it and play it. Um, but I'm I'm starting to play uh, Metroid Prime Remastered. Oh, nice. Um, Hell yeah. having never really played it before and it is a slick looking game um, I watched some videos of what it looked like when it originally came out which uh, John when, you, when did the game come out do you remember exactly when uh, the game was oh, released uh, November of 2002 <laughs> oh wow uh, what about that <laughs> <laughs> so at any rate I wanted to play the remastered one um, and yeah it, it looks fantastic mm-hmm. um, they really put a lot of effort into um did you grab the remaster, John? Modern. Oh, yep. you did. Okay. Yeah, you probably. I think you already played it, right? Yeah, yeah. Not nod, nod your head at me on a podcast. Yeah, that's gonna. <laughs> <laughs> I'm giving um, you the thumbs up. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, it, it absolutely looks fantastic. It plays pretty well too. Like, I like that they have the dual uh, stick setup. Like the other, I don't know how anybody, unless they hate themselves, would play <laughs> with those other three setup like controller setup modes. They're you get used to awful. it. You get used to it, eventually. And you, you have the one you can hold down the one button so you can free aim. But yeah, that I played that for five minutes and was like ready to stop playing. I, I was mean, like, there has to be another way to do this. This is definitely a better way to do it with the extra joy, with the extra analog and everything like that. But um, it, it was fine. That that's how we. And then um, Metroid Prime 3, you actually used uh, motion controls, which was great. They actually have a motion control setup for uh, the the Prime remake. And I, I eventually, I, I tried the motion one. I tried the uh, sort of the, the, the sort of facsimile of the GameCube controls. And then I tried the, the, the dual analog. And the dual analog really is the most comfortable. Um, it, it it requires like the least amount of like rewiring in your brain because like you're just kind of used to first person games using a dual analog. It makes the most sense. Whereas you know, it also has like a, a lock on target, mm-hmm. so yeah. it's not even like the game's really requiring you to have touch aiming yeah. with it. Yeah, yeah, and you know, for for the when it was on the GameCube, you know, 
the the other first person shooters that you might have been exposed to on consoles might have been things like GoldenEye or Perfect Dark, which really weren't like fully dual analog either. So it was a little bit easier to make that. But now that uh, it, it's dual analog is the standard, so it's a easier transition. And then playing with uh, the motion controls, my old man arms got tired too quickly. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to go back and play Twilight Princess with the motion attacks. Mm. It's a perfect game. Yeah, motion, game. So, motions, no motions, perfect. Skyward Sword with the uh, precision motion. It's <laughs> <laughs> a less perfect game. Yeah. Oh, I played Skyward Sword too. I actually got a copy of that one. I still that never beat Skyward. I need to go back and actually. I own it, but I still. I, I need to go back and actually beat that game. Yeah, you bought it, and you bought the amiibo and the controllers, the Joy-Con. Not the Amiibo, but the original one on the Wii. Yeah, I bought that special edition that came with the gold Joy-Con, uh, the Joy uh, Nunchuck thing. No, the, it was the Joy Wii Remote, and uh, it didn't have it was a the Motion Plus. Though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a, it was a go. Uh, it was a, the Wii Motion Plus because mm-hmm. you needed it for that game. Mm-hmm. So you can run around with your sword hella high. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was like the thing in the game. Is like whenever you were done with combat, like okay, where do I hold? my Wii remote so I look the least ridiculous. Because it was yes. either like holding about up high or like way out in front of you. And I figured like, okay, if I just twist it to the side, just kind of like holding it at his side, he looks like the least dorky. I mean, I just put the sword away. Just mm. just put the sword away. Mm-hmm. But you gotta, you gotta be dowsing. You're always dowsing. Oh, that's so stupid. Anyway, how's Mr. I just uncomfortable and not to look like an idiot. <laughs> yeah. It says the guy I'm going not- to a renaissance fair. <laughs> Hey, my outfit is uh, its pretty cool. Uh-huh. I'm saying. Uh-huh. My outfit's pretty cool. I'm super excited. It's so soft and comfy. I cannot wait. But how's Metroid Prime? Uh, oh, it's, it's its good. I'm enjoying it. I've, I've only maybe played it for three or four hours. not So I'm not that far into it. And it seems like there's a lot of stuff to unlock as you go along. Probably the closest comparison I can make to it. And it makes me, again, recommend it to you. Because I know I've recommended it three or four times. It reminds me a lot of the new Doom games, hmm. uh, Doom 2016 and Doom Eternal. Um, just imagine, um, instead of it doing the whole detective stuff of you kind of like reading rooms and unlocking things, um, it's more of just like a ballet of like brutal combat. Um, and still has that kind of fun exploration component to it. Um, yeah, yeah, and, and, and it seems like... Uh, you know that that map that they give you is so much like the Doom map. If if you're one that likes to get a big map and you like filling it all in and finding all the little stuff on it, that is to a to a T what Doom is doing, and um, even has some fun, fairly light RPG elements where you're building out, you know, weapons and stuff. That map um, that map in Metroid Prime, like it was virtually unchanged from the GameCube version. They really nailed it the first time around. Yeah, yeah, and I, I think it's really cool. The environments that they've made are really nice. Um, it's just just cool. I never really played one of these, and I know that they've always had these first-person Metroid mm-hmm. games. Um, so, yeah. Are you, I really like it so far, and I'm, I'm looking forward to plugging away at it. Are you, for, are you in the ruins, the Chozo ruins? Yes, mm-hmm. yeah. That That's where I... I mean, I went through the whole... There's like Basically, the first part just feels like a tutorial mm-hmm. where you're like on a space station, and you got to go to the inside of it and take out the big gruesome monster thing and then now I'm sort of like on the jungle planet going through the ruins mm-hmm. um, 
so yeah, I, I'm digging it. Uh, I, I saw there's going to be a lot of diverse environments too, so that'll be cool to see. Yeah. For a game that's you know 21 years old. Wes, you got anything on tap? I have two games that I bought on a recent Switch sale, but I haven't scanned around to play in them yet, and I'm excited to get around them. And there are two games that you have played, John. Um, I grabbed Untitled Goose Game. Okay. Great game. Yeah, I got that one. Just, I never played it, and it's, it's just wacky fun. Mm-hmm. But I also, I hope they fixed it, which... I assumed they did, hence why I bought it. I should have looked it up before I did, but I grabbed Bloodstained Ritual of the Night. Okay. Yeah, they did do some. I saw that one was on sale, yeah. So that one, uh, I mean, I think it was, I spent a whole 20 bucks for those games. That's a deal. Totally worth it. Hell yeah. yeah. So I, I'm excited to get to those, but I got Baldur's Gate and Wonder to get through. <laughs> you got a whole stack now. Planner getting lords of the fallen so i you know I, I i got some stuff to occupy my time well untitled dude game is good for that because i, I a couple hours yeah. like that is not a long game yeah anymore. yeah but still that's just wacky fun yeah it really is it's a fun game so the last thing that i got going is uh i got an import copy of batten kaitos the oh he came in Yep, it, it came in. I've started the game. I'm actually uh, making some pretty good progress. I'm about uh, 16, 17 hours into it. And it, it does have some nice uh, like speed-up features. Like You can speed up just the, the general gameplay, like move faster and get through text faster. And you can also do that with the, the battle system separately. So there's a speed-up for general gameplay and a separate speed-up just for battles, which once you get to a certain point in the game is not really beneficial to use you want to have the battles at standard speed because uh, i don't know if you guys know too much about this game but it is a a card battling rpg uh complete with with deck building where well when you when you enter a battle you've you've built out you build out your deck with you know attacks and defensive items health restorative items if that's the way you want to play and uh, you, you get into these not random fights, and you can turn off battles if you want, if you just want to get through an area without having to fight anymore. Um, when you enter a battle, each card that represents an attack or a defense has a numeric value in the corner. And when you are selecting an attack, if you are like building pairs or straights, you are going to get... Uh, a percentage bonus to the amount of damage that you're doing, um, depending on like how many pairs or like uh, triples or quadruples or like how long of a straight of cards that you are able to make. So like if if you're like at a certain point uh, when you get further in the game, you're able to play more cards and have a bigger hand uh, at any time. Like at this point, with one of my characters, I can play six cards in one attack in one turn. So if I like make a straight of six cards, it's getting me like a, a forty or fifty percent bonus to the amount of damage that I'm doing. Um, but I like the way that in this game you have to be mindful of how you're building your deck because not only do you want to have like uh, attack cards that are kind of like clustered together and the, the the numbers that you can pick from, so it's easier for you to build those uh, those combos. Uh, you also have to be mindful of like the element of the card. So your your main character guy um, attacks with swords, but you can pick up different swords that have elemental affinities like light and dark or water fire 
or wind and time are opposing elements for some reason. Um, but if if you're playing like uh, a card that is a a fire elemental and followed up with a water elemental, they're actually going to cancel each other out. So you have to be mindful of how you're building your deck to like not have too many elements that are going to oppose each other within there. And also as you get further into the game, you know you're of course getting more powerful cards, but you know those numeric values that I mentioned that are going to be in one of the corners, it will start to you'll get cards that have numerical values in multiple corners. And by the time you get to the end of the game, you're playing cards that have a number in every corner. So it gives you a whole lot more opportunities to build these these uh, pairs or straights to really get uh, your combos going and do a lot of damage. Um, but you are on a time limit. So you have to be thinking quickly. It's actually one of like a, a really high-paced card-battling RPG, which is a kind of a weird combination. But they do a, a really admirable job of building this battle system to where it feels just frantic enough to where you want to be able to play another card quickly, but uh, strategic enough to where like they give you just enough time to do it. But yeah, I, uh, I like these games. Uh, I did get myself into a little bit of trouble because I was playing um, at a higher game speed. And there's this uh, moment in the game where you end up in this this boat and you're uh, sailing through this area and it kind of turns it into a, a shoot 'em up style game. Um, and like the oncoming enemies, uh, if you're able to shoot them, you won't have to get into like a, a standard battle. Um, but because I was playing at 200% game speed, I was unable to avoid any of these battles. And uh, you have to stay... You're following this other ship. You have to stay close behind it as you're navigating, trying to like shoot these enemies before they, they encounter you. And because I was getting into so many encounters, the other ship got away and I had to start over. And this whole segment took me damn near an hour to get through because the game wouldn't let me lower the game speed while I was in the middle of it. So it was really frustrating and a whole lot of controller shaking later. I was able to finally get through it. Because um, I guess I was just too stubborn to, re to reset and load a save. <laughs> but yeah. Um, and it's every, everyone has wings. Everyone has wings. Some very, yep. And not even the same wing on both sides of them. It seems like sometimes they have different wings. Yeah, your your main character guy has like a mechanical wing um, to go along with his, his other wing. One of your uh, party members has like a, a peacock tail instead of wings. They're all like bird themed somehow. Um, one of them has like butterfly wings. So I guess that one's not bird themed. Right. So at least one of them's not a government issued surveillance drone. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. Des says hi. Says it the is. game takes about 43 hours, 124 if you want 100% it. So yeah, 100%ing it would like uh, constitute getting all of the, the cards available for your deck. And there's like somewhere in the, the ballpark of a thousand of them uh, across all your characters. So, you know. I see one of these cards is literally just a, a pack of bananas. Yeah, yeah. So as something that they do in this game, and I, I don't think they do it in the the follow-up to this one, uh, is that, like, like in most older RPGs, you don't auto-restore after battle. 
you have to either use a consumable item to restore your HP, or with, if you're you're in a fight, you're not using your consumable ones. You're using your 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 battle cards to uh, have things like HP restorative items, like bananas or strawberries. But after a certain amount of time, they spoil. And bananas become rotten bananas. And instead of restoring HP, you can then fling them at your enemy and try to inflict poison status. That's fun. Yeah, but, but like status ailments, uh, buffs and debuffs aren't really super important to the game. The most important thing in the game is um, knowing what uh, uh, elements are going to work well in the particular dungeon or boss fight that you're in. Because sometimes if you have the correct uh, elemental cards against a boss fight, you're going to like buff up your damage by as much as 80%. Um, just by using the right one. But then if you're using the wrong one, you're going to have a, a minus 80%. So it's always important to save before a boss fight. So if you have the wrong ones, you load your save and rebuild your deck. Something that they do in, that, that they do in uh, the, the follow-up to this game is they allow you to have multiple decks. So you can be like, okay, well, here's, here's my deck that's going to be uh, mostly fire stuff. And here's the deck that's going to be mostly dark attacks. So if you need to, to load a save, you can just like quickly equip your other deck and go. Some of these environments and everything are like just beautiful. Mm. I really like the design. They're all very cluttered. There's just a lot going around going on in every little thing. Yeah, they they use um like pre-rendered backgrounds so they're able to pack a lot of detail in there. At least in the original version. I'm not sure if they're doing any pre-rendering in the Switch version. But they gave it uh, a nice little facelift. They they of course uh had a, a higher resolution in the Switch version, and then a lot of the user interface stuff is a bit more streamlined. The one thing that um, I didn't like about the user interface in the Switch version is it was very difficult to find um, where you equip your like your your armor. So there there's not really there's only one like piece of equipment that you get at a time. You get like okay, I found this person's next uh, like armor piece. So I want to go equip that because it's going to give them like a slightly more resistance to like paralysis. But it took me like it was like 12 hours into the game before I found that item in the menu to actually okay now I can actually put people's better armor on. I uh, one last comment I want to make is a lot of these bosses that I'm seeing, a lot of these kind of fights I'm kind of seeing remind me a lot of like Final Fantasy. Was it 13 I'm thinking of? No, 12. Um, where it's just like a lot of just random shapes and just a bunch of different colors. And hmm. you're like, I don't know what that is. Like, it's it's not even modeled after anything. It's just a blob of It's just abstract. Yeah, like, it, hmm. like Picasso was trying to design your boss fight. And you're like, what the frack am I looking at? This thing has wings and a spear at the end of his hands. And he's got like a weird... I don't know. It... it, it it's kind of like it makes me think of the uh, the summons from Twelve, and you're just like, "What the heck is that thing?" Like it, it's it doesn't make any sense. Just random. I actually don't remember any of the summons from Twelve. I don't think I used a summoner. Yeah, they're uh, they're all weird. Mm. <laughs> like you should go back and just watch like a video of the summons here. Just like I I don't know what's happening in this in this summoning. Like it, it just doesn't make any sense. And that reminds me a lot of these designs were just like, all right, instead of using a few different colors, we're going to use all the colors on this one guy in just random locations. <laughs> but yeah, this is a, these designs are weird. These designs are weird, is what I'm saying. And this is a weird one to get a an HD remaster. 
You know, this was a, a series that was obscure on the GameCube. Um, that I don't know, for whatever reason, Namco was like, yes, those ones, re-release. So another one of the games on my list. I would like to get to this sometime. You guys got any other, other stuff, non-gaming type stuff that you want to talk about before we move forward? Non-gaming type stuff. I guess I could talk. Well, I don't want to talk that much about it, but I could say I I can say that as an accomplishment, I have completed the Conjuring verse. Okay. I have watched all of the Conjuring movies, uh, which consist of, of course, anything called The Conjuring, mm-hmm. anything called Annabelle, The Nun, and a one-off called The Curse of La Llorona. I intended to complete all of these before Halloween. Was it like the it Insidious took a movies longer. part of that as well? No, it is not, actually. Uh, So what makes it a Conjuring verse is that it's about the couple that runs the whole thing, the one that's Patrick Wilson and uh, Avera Farmega, the couple that's, like, from the 70s that, like, has been collecting all of these occult relics. Um, So, yeah, they're they're good. If you like uh, really uh, blunt jump scares and spooky stuff, it is a great series of films. I think um, the nun ones are the best for just like just genuinely chilling horror. I think the Annabelle ones are kind of fun in their own way. The Conjuring ones are all right, and and honestly, Curse of La Llorona may be the best, but it's like a one-off, and it sort of ties into the nun, but not really. There was mm. another series that I. I I think it was the Conjury that tied the two, or am I thinking like Paranormal and something else that are tied together? It's probably Paranormal mm. and something else is tied together. Yeah, it could be. I can't remember. I, I mean, it's well, it's the same director that made um, Insidious, made I believe the first Conjuring film. I want to say it was James Wan was involved in that. Um, so th- they kind of go hand in hand, and I want to say Insidious has has. Patrick Wilson in it as well, but I, it's not the same guy from The Conjuring. Oh, he's, okay. He's, it's not the same he's, he's character. Just, he's cast in both of them, but it's not the same person. Okay, okay. And he actually yeah. directed the most recent Insidious, The yes. Red Door. Mm-hmm. It was kind of a passion project for him, I guess. Yeah. So that that's kind of like going on, really. I did watch um, not really horror, but like I guess horror adjacent. There's a new Resident Evil movie um, animated on Netflix oh, cool. called Death Island. Um, it's not good. It's not good. <laughs> but you know, there was a Resident Evil series from like 2019, and I watched like one. I, I didn't even think I made it through the first episode. It's bad. It's so bad. Is, is there? I, I I hate to say this, but is there a good Resident Evil movie? I doubt it. But like, uh, but like it's, there's, it's, there's so many they're just bad it's, I think them. I think Welcome to Raccoon City oh, is yeah. if you're an actual if you're an actual fan mm-hmm. of Resident Evil it is fan servicey and it's not a good film but if if you want something that looks and feels like Resident Evil it actually is pretty okay yeah I think like out of all the Resident Evil movies that's the one I had the most fun watching and I think it was like the most watchable like even if you're like an outsider to the series like it's, it's at least like something that's coherent enough to where like okay I can make it through to the end of this it's it's faithful to the fans and the, like I don't know if you guys watched it but there's that new Five Nights at Freddy's movie like I watched it um, and I'm not like a super fan of the property but I know that people are obsessed with the lore of it oh, and it seems nuts. like I don't even know why it, it's yeah so, God and in that movie you can tell that it was it was for the fans mm. you know it's not they weren't trying to make uh, just a, a a good horror film they were trying to make something that appealed to the their audience. 
and it seems like they succeeded pretty well given that it's got like a 30% from critics and like a 90% from audiences mm. so well like Capcom's really good at like making the, these nice looking things in Resident Evil like the nice looking as in like highly detailed like it, a lot of the stuff they do is grotesque and if I could compare it to something it's probably like uh, Fast and the Furious to where like all of your main characters are basically like these invulnerable superheroes like right at the very beginning Leon is in this motorcycle chase where he should have died like five times he's in a crash he's not wearing a helmet he would have been pulp but no he just like gets up and dusts himself off um, so like there are these invulnerable characters who uh, end up on Alcatraz and they gotta escape from Alcatraz so this is like not a very creative plot either and there are bees there are these robot bees that are gonna sting you and turn you into a zombie it's deeply silly and like they're not even like having fun with it either it's so self-serious um, but like uh, Leon is there as is Chris and Jill Claire shows up um, and it all of the characters oh and Rebecca Chambers is there as well uh, all of the characters they seem to be using like the most recent character models like for like a Chris and Leon and Jill for like a while now they've kind of had like their basic character model like this is what these characters look like and then the, the games and the movies they generally look like that for some reason they can't seem to make up their mind with Claire because in uh, games like uh, Code Veronica and I guess like the the Dark Side Chronicles for Wii and a lot of the films oh and the uh, the Resident Evil Revelations game um, they, she's kind of the same general look but then in the Resident Evil 2 remake they really changed up her look um, and for some reason they're, they're like every other character is using like their, their remake character models but for for some reason Claire that they're just kind of sticking with the character model they were using before I don't know not really that big a deal just something that I noticed they just can't decide on what Claire looks like Steve is not in the, the movie which is a shame mm. you love to hate him <laughs> yep I think the only other like non-gaming thing I have is uh, the, the final episode of Doom Patrol is tonight Oh, yeah. I need to go back and watch that. Tremendous right? show, so so. There, good. there was one. I, I think it's the season before this one that I stopped watching because it, it just kind of lost some momentum to it. How dare for you? Me. Nope. You're 100. I need to go back because Doom it, Doom Patrol is really good. Mm. Are they at least like wrapping it up nicely? Like, it, yeah. or is it? Yeah, they knew that this was this was the end. So okay, so they're mm-hmm. they're wrapping it up. Okay, yep. Opposed to just leaving it hanging. Hmm. Well, you guys want to talk about any uh, Nintendo financials? They really their Q2 numbers. Oh, if you wanted to break into it, we can. Yeah, I just heard that. I'm going to um, take a nap during that. <laughs> yeah, I think we talked about it earlier, like off air, but like that it's basically the best two quarters they've had since the launch of the Switch. Right, wild. So that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah, I don't think there's anything... Um, in particular, that uh, any major points that I wanted to hit, um, there are up above 130 million Switch units sold. Uh, just masses of amounts of uh, of Switches that they've moved uh, over the past uh, seven years since the thing launched. Um, yeah, 
to totally crazy how many things and uh as far as like they they did release some software numbers as well and i'm trying to find the big ones right now but like splatoon 3 is near 8 million xenoblade chronicles 3 uh 1.7 million i'm looking for like uh mario kart 8 deluxe is like over 50 million which is nuts i think i'm actually looking at the uh, 2022 numbers right here. But anyway, I, I didn't really have anything to uh, say too much. Um, just want to give you guys a chance. If, like, Ryan, if you had anything you wanted to say about their financials. I don't I didn't look at the financials directly. I, I actually do think that this uh, PS2 unit sold mm. is, is in striking yeah. distance. Oh, I th this, this could One of the things happen, that I didn't yeah. want to mention was 19.5 million copies. Super, really good. One of the interesting things about it, though, is in Q1, when it released, because uh, I think Q1 for Nintendo is April, May, June. So it released in the middle of May, sold 18.5 million copies in Q1, and then in Q2, only moves another million. Now, Q3, you get in holiday season, so you'll probably move a lot more then. But it's just an interesting, like, the, the opposite of what you expect from, like, a big first-party Nintendo title. You expect to sell millions and millions of, like, across a, a long period of time. And it still can. It's But it was interesting that, like, in the entire quarter, it only moved another million. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I imagine that there's a... You, you kind of knew if you were going to get it or not. Like... This was a highly anticipated game, and everybody wanted to <clears throat> see what was going to happen with it. It's not really like a word of mouth, like, oh, you didn't hear that there's another Breath of the Wild came out? <laughs> like, it was, it, it, it sucked all the oxygen out of the gaming sphere when it happened. So, I, I mean, I kind of get it, but I don't know. They made some money. They sold some Switches. Yeah. Oh, and I saw that they're coming out with a bunch more, like, uh, I don't know what you call them. They put skins on like the consoles, so there's like a okay. like a Mario Kart one that's coming out, I think, mm. and and some built around other like a Smash one specifically that has like unique Joy Cons. Yeah, it's an OLED Smash um, console. It's exactly the same, except the controller has got the the Smash. They did that on the with the regular Switch um, a couple years back, a few years back. Uh, didn't come with the game. This one's coming with the game as well. Um, but it's an OLED copy. Comes there you out go. The and somebody was saying that this is essentially what they did with the 3DS towards the end of its life cycle. That when they, you know, kind of wanted to get the last run of production out, they did a bunch of like specialty package deals and unique skins and did some all this kind of weird stuff. So thought that was interesting. Mm. Just a sign that you know they're going to go somewhere with this after the Switch. Yeah, they have an Animal Crossing Switch Lite. Very cool. Well, should we do some tier rankings? Yeah, I'm about it if you are. Cool. So just kind of give some context. We won't go through what uh, everything is in every tier, but just kind of give a breakdown of what these tiers are. S tier are like, of course, the, the top tier. These are things that uh, sell gangbusters, like their highest prestige series, things like Mario, Zelda, Smash. Um, the A tier are things that sell pretty well, um, but are, are maybe just like, uh, just barely not top tier, things that don't belong up with like Mario and Zelda. Uh, maybe they're relatively new, um, but you're talking about things like like 
uh, Metroid or Splatoon. Metroid doesn't quite have the sales to make it up to S tier, and Splatoon probably still a little bit too new to make it to the S tier. When you get to the C, uh, B tier, things that, you know, kind of like the, the, the workhorses, they push these series and they do all right, but... And, you know, I maybe don't have like the sales or the consistent good enough reviews in order to move up higher. Um, things like Splatoon, Fire Emblem, things that are really important to Nintendo, things that they want to do well, but haven't uh, quite achieved the, the mainstream success that maybe they want out of it. Uh, C tier is kind of a, a catch all for things that, you know, do okay. But ne- maybe maybe some recognizable names of the franchises, but also not. This is where we get into the territory where some of these are like you maybe know about but have never played. Hmm. The D tier are for like franchises that maybe had like a breakout at one point, but have fallen off, or like they they had their time where maybe they were recognizable but not so much anymore, or things that are like passion projects. We're talking about things like 1080 snowboarding, or was like popular for a year, or something like Fatal Frame, which finds a way to hang on even though it never sells. And then the F tier, things you've never heard of, and things that are probably done and never coming back. Yeah. Um, and sometimes, should, we're pro- uh, sometimes we're proven wrong, like another code true. just got but, released. But, that was a staple F tier game for us. But, but also, also things that like when they were around never really made an impact. Things like Chibi Robo. Or legendary yeah, yeah, Starfy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We can't get another Chibi Robo. You don't know. <laughs> I don't. I don't think we are. The franchise is dead. Uh, where do you want to start? I mean, we got a good selection. So we were, we're going to talk about Mario Party, Nintendogs, Custom Robo, and lastly Labo. Yeah. So I mean, I'm cool with picking up wherever you want. We could start at the top of the bill with with Mario Party. Um, Let's start with Mario Party. All right. Cool. Um, so what did we say about this one? I, I guess I'll just get in a few points and then I'll toss it to you. We can go back and forth, sure. But it's it's largely made by Hudson Soft up until about 2007, at which point it transfers to a company called Indie Cube, which seems to pretty much just exclusively turn out these these Mario Party games. Uh, you got 12 console titles, five handheld titles. The first one was on the N64 in 98. Um, it's a lo- generally its style is that it's essentially supposed to play like a board game. Essentially, it's a collection of mini games housed within a board game, um, and it pretty pretty tightly just sticks to the Mario crew. You have a few Donkey Kong characters, but they they really don't go far beyond that. Um, I will say personally, I've never owned a Mario Party game, but I've played dozens of times and over many different versions, different installments of this game. Just with friends on the couch, it's kind of that kind of game. Like, yeah. What, what do you think, John? Where, where, where do you want to go with this? And you you win by collecting the most stars, but that does not necessarily mean you played the best. Mario Party has like this yes. this element of chaos to it, where it might start handing out stars for a player who had like the least number of high rolls, or a player who landed on the most red spaces. Um, so, yeah, it's de- it's designed to be sort of like a like a, a little star on the paper of the worst written paper from the kids. You know, the, it's like if even if you're bad at the game, they still want to make you feel good about something. The drawback being is like you know if you think you're a pro gamer going into this and you crush all the mini games and you're like the best at it, rarely do you ever actually win. Yeah, <laughs> so. it's not a game that like you really want to be invested into actually winning. 
you gotta learn to not care if you've won or not. Uh, like like you're saying, developed by Hudson Soft. Uh, fun fact about Hudson Soft and ND Cube. So uh, Hudson was bought out by Konami after a few years of turmoil. Um, but ND Cube, the company that makes Mario Party games now, is made up a lot of of a lot of expatriates from Hudson after they ran into a lot of trouble. Uh, and NDQ is now a subsidiary of Nintendo, even though it started out as a joint venture between Nintendo and a, like a marketing firm or an advertising firm in Japan. Um, uh, Hitatoshi Endo, who's the former president of Hudson Soft, now runs NDQ, that studio. So they pretty much like Hudson Soft was making these Mario Party games, but then they things kind of got shitty for them, so they left, started another company, and Nintendo was like, "Hey, you want to make more Mario Party games?" And now that's what they do. Ah, uh, you want to get into some specifics? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of just to kind of talk about the arc of this. You know, how many titles and combined seventeen titles. So um, it's worth noting that the two Switch titles account for thirty million sales. Um, this is a series that's come on hot late. Of the 73 million sales, uh, total sales for the series, 50 million of those are from four games. 68% of the series games are from four games. The, the Switch games and then a Wii game and a DS game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the the, la- the two most recent installments of Mario Party have sold more on console than every previous 10, uh, the 10 previous console combined. Mm-hmm. Um, and why is this? Um, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that they kind of mass-produced this game. Um, they kind of overdid it, especially in the GameCube era, where they made four four years in a row. They made a Mario Party game, yeah. And you'll you'll notice that it's true across all of them that the best-selling one is always the first one that comes out on that console. And it's even true in like the Switch. Both games sold really well. But keep in mind, the first one sold like 23 million, and then the second Switch one, which was like Mario Party All-Stars or whatever, only sold like 8. So that's 30% of the sales of the first game. It's like that light clockwork with every console this has been released on. The first one sells like crazy, and then they keep making way too many, and then those other ones just totally drop off. Like, you have one on the GameCube that sold like 1.6 million, which is like fucking nothing for anything with Mario in its name. Um, and for what it's worth, it's not to say that they're churning out the same game over and over again. Um, you know, I watched a bunch of people talking about the history of Mario Party, and it came up frequently where they were like, they just released them too fast because there's a lot, like, they're very different. All of the different Mario Party games have tons of new mechanics and new mini games. They, with every one, they always had something new about it. It's just that it kind of got overshadowed because it's it's, not, it's also not like you're buying a sports title where it's like, you know, 2007 is more recent than 2004. 2007 is probably the game you want to play. You probably just don't know what Mario Party you're supposed to pick up. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. Um, what, what, what do you think? What, what are your, what's your take on this? Uh, yeah, I mean, like you were saying, from about 1998 to 2007, it was nearly an annual series. You get a decade of these games coming out nearly every year. Um, appearance it, it does make appearances on every Nintendo system since then, but not uh, like annually. You you have to get multiple. But this is kind of like we were talking about just a second ago about uh, Tears of the Kingdom and how it was a little bit strange that it only moved a million in the 
uh, second quarter that it was released. It's a it's a series that kind of has the the Nintendo legs to it, where you know the 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 first Switch installment, the name escapes me right now, didn't sell those 19 million. You know, the year it was released, it sold those 19 million over Good the point. course of the four years that it's been out. Uh, they they're games that. Uh, sell consistently over a period of time rather than being like, no, all of your sales are going to be front-loaded in the, the first couple weeks of release. And I think for, like it, it does a lot of uh, heavy lifting for Nintendo in that way, where you have like this steady revenue stream from games like Mario Party and Smash Brothers and Mario Kart. Um, I don't think it belongs in the same tier as those other two, but it, it's kind of like the, the same sort of... Uh, uh, breed of games where you're it's probably beneficial to have one per system because you're not gonna oversaturate like you used to oh absolutely agreed i I think that you know with every new console they should at least make one mario party game and Mm -hmm. for what it's worth i think just to stop confusing people they just called the one on switch i believe it's just called super mario party yeah as if to say reboot we're starting over don't worry about the numbers get this one they also released Mario Party Superstars on the Switch, which is a collection of a lot of the old maps and stuff. And again, that one that one sold very well too. Yeah. And I think we talked about it at the time, like it was weird that it wasn't DLC. I mean, I guess like eight million sales kind of proves that, like, hey, whatever we don't we don't want to do DLC, we'll just move another eight million of these things. Um, but it, like, rather than doing added on content, they just did another game. Yeah. Um, I would also note that this. This game has horrible reviews. Yeah. Consistently terrible reviews. The highest reviewed game is the most recent that Mario Party Superstars, and it only has an 80 out of 100. Yeah, like like the the ceiling, and that's kind of like the ceiling for this series, is like an 80. Like you're you're looking at the better reviewed ones are more like in the mid-7s, which, you know, uh, a 7 for video games, the kiss of death. Yeah, it's tough. But here's the thing, is that I think a lot of people have really fond memories of this game. Is that a lot of people, even people that don't even own a Nintendo console, have probably gotten together with some friends and played Mario Party. Um, People that aren't video game, you know, like fans even probably play this game a lot. And it's also one of those games that uh, elicits a genuine reaction from people. Like, I know people were just like, would get steaming mad when somebody fucks them over or like people get so competitive over this game which is you know kind of in itself a farce of competition Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know it's not even like it's really trying to be you know fair in any way Right, like the most fun I've had with a Mario Party game is probably like the the, the Switch one that we keep referring to, uh, Super Mario Party, because like rather than like it, it does have like the board game mode where you're competitive, but then also like there's a cooperative mode where you're basically like paddling down a river, and then every so often you'll you got like paddle together to avoid obstacles, but every so often you'll get hit with a mini game. And me and Ripley put a bunch of time into that because like every you know, so often she'll want to play some Mario Party. And it's kind of like the the quickest way to just like get to mini games rather than having to like take turns and roll dice, and you know it, it usually like g- hits you with uh, the cooperative mini games rather than the competitive ones. Yeah, I think that's a fun twist on it when it makes people that were adversarial have to actually like work mm-hmm. together as a team to try to win. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so um, I mean, I, I'm kind of ready to wrap it up. The conversation about this 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 whole franchise. I think we kind of hit all the points I had. Unless you got anything else. Uh, for for longevity, been around since 1998. I think that's good for an A. Uh, for iconography, I mean, it's Mario. So got it, even an it, S. It's, it's an S. Uh, and it, like this probably does a lot of like yeah. the, the legwork for popularizing like Mario side characters, like characters like Daisy or Waluigi or, or Boo, uh, are pretty consistent um, characters in these games, and probably helps them become more recognizable. Uh, for sales, we talked about it already. I mean, I don't think you can. Like A, I think is the floor for sales because of how well it's been doing recently. Mm-hmm. And then for like its reception or prestige, I went I went with a C because I had everything the same except for reception. I put a D because there's yeah. some bad bad reviews out there. Yeah, yeah, and I think some of that also has to do with how frequently they were coming out. But overall, I went with an A. I agree. This is like a mid A. This is yeah. like right in the middle of stack of A. You know, I think it's uh, it's a long-running series. It's going to keep going, and I'm sure with whatever successor system there is to the Switch, within a few years of it coming out, there will be a Mario Party game. Yep. And it'll probably sell 15, 20 million copies. Wes, what do you think? Yeah, I got no investment <laughs> with Mario Party. <laughs> Did we even I talk got, about that? Do we like Mario Party? Or, or is there? <laughs> I'm not really that big on it either. I've never bought one. I hate one. playing this. Let me sit here for two hours playing these stupid mini games with you guys, and then watch the person who's been in last place. The oh, I, I love that sort playing. of chaos. <laughs> no, I mean I I don't um, so stupid. I don't think I've played much of a Mario Party outside of the one for Switch because I play with Ripley. So I'm I'm not super invested in the franchise either. Uh, where do you want to go next? Do you do you care? I'll let you pick the next one. What do we got? Let's go to Custom Robo. This will be another easy one. Okay, I actually have more notes written about Custom Robo than I have all the other ones. Oh, get out of here. Okay, well, let's uh, let's go through it. I only have a few things to open up with. Uh, it's an arena battling game. You craft robots with custom parts to make your best possible fighting machine. It was made by a developer called Noise. They made all five of these games, only two released in North America, the two more recent ones. Uh, this developer is still around, uh, but they've only really made a mobile game within the past five years. Te- technically, yes, they're they're still around. Yeah, they they technically still exist, but they're not making custom robo anymore. Yeah. Um. So yeah, like you said, it's developed by Noise, but they really haven't been relevant in console gamings for a decade. Um. They haven't done anything in a long, long time aside from like you're saying a couple of mobile games. Um. And the work that they've done is pretty much exclusively on this series, which is kind of sad that their entire existence is centered around this thing that barely exists. <laughs> um. But yeah, like you're saying, it's an arena fighting game centered around mech anime. Um, sort of like a front mission kind of thing where you get to build your robot out. with Yeah, they're, they're like, modular. Attach. Yeah. Um, five games, two on the N64, one on the GBA, one on the GameCube, and one on the DS. Those last two are the only ones that got released in the U.S. Um, as a franchise combined, maybe, and this is kind of being generous, maybe 750,000 units mm. sold. Not great. Not not that's, good at all. That's not what um, you want to see. How did they make five? How did that happen? Yeah. So I, I think that early on there was an interest in, in, in the Japanese markets for this game. So they kind of thought that maybe there would be something there. Um, the reviews are actually pretty bad. Mm. Uh, the reviews I read were not very kind to any of these games. 
Um, what's great is I found a Medium article, you know, Medium the publication, mm -hmm. or like the open source publication, whatever you want to call it, from 2019 that was talking about this series. And it was the most heartbreaking thing I've ever read about gaming, like honestly. But I think that the writer was, was so optimistic to a fault, like so naively optimistic about it. Like I, it was like you were listening to this death march of a company um, when they're talking about how none of these games sell at all and like they're talking about you know one installment sold 400,000 units and it's like he calls those great sales those are mm. not great sales those are not great sales when you're releasing this worldwide nope. in all of these different markets and even in Japan they don't give a shit um, you know like this company actually got punted around too because like Nintendo gave up on them and they were bought by Bandai Namco who made one game and then they booted them too for poor sales and then they got picked up by Square Enix and then they got cut because they made one game and it barely sold like everyone wants like they're like a drug addict <laughs> that is surrounded by people that love them and just want them to do well but they can't because they suck <laughs> Like, and then like, <laughs> how, how did their other games review? Like, I, I don't even, I don't have it open right now to see what other games they made, but I don't think any of their games review particularly well. No, no, that none of them, none of them did did well. And the, what's so sad too is at the end of it, like this company's dead. I mean, mm -hmm. this company is a is a corpse that has been beaten. And at the end, he ends the article by being like, is Custom Robo coming back? It's like, only time will tell. Wink. No, it's not coming back. <laughs> it's like, no, this thing is so dead. This thing is gone. This thing is absolutely gone. And like, okay, and, and, and uh, these are not, this is not empirical evidence. But even on YouTube, like you go to YouTube and you look up Legendary Starfy and there's a video with 600,000 views of someone's like, why don't people care about Legendary Starfy? The most views of any video associated with Custom Robo is from six years ago and it has 50,000 views. <laughs> nobody, nobody gives a shit. This is the least cared about franchise <laughs> that we have talked about maybe ever. Um, it's also, and here's, I'm ranting. Here's the thing. This came out in the late 90s and early 2000s. This is like the peak, the pinnacle of mech anime. And that's what this game is ex about. Like, you can't capitalize on fucking mech anime in, like, the height of its consumption. Like, God, what were they do? What happened? Mm. Like, noise, what were you guys doing? I, I don't even know if this game's good. I don't even know if it matters if this game is, like, actually functional. Oh, my last note is to bring up Little Models. Wes likes his Little Models. He does like his Little Models. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Little Models. <laughs> I, I haven't built any in a we'll long time. We'll get you some, like, custom robo. Some more again. That's what I was going to say. If there's, if there's a game it. on Switch, I build it. we need to make Wes play it. <laughs> I, I don't think we're ever going to see this this series get any sort of franchise care. Uh, I think, like, a lot of that, like, is because the platforms that it's on, like... Nintendo does do some sort of virtual console integration with um, GBA, but like uh, GameCube, DS, they don't really have any sort of uh, uh, virtual library for those particular systems. And like there's two N64 games that are Japan only. They do have a, an N64 virtual service, and they have put Japan only games on them before. The one that comes to mind most quickly is Sin and Punishment. Um, like Sin and Punishment is a more relative or more important franchise to Nintendo to actually do franchise care than this custom robo thing. Uh, and Sin and Punishment is an F tier franchise. 
Yes, that that is absolutely the case. Um, just to to get like the the quick uh, breakdown right here. Longevity started in 1999, like we said, five games in about eight years. I mean, I guess we could give you a D for that. You you were. I have it as a C. I have it as a C minus. Okay. I think that's okay. that's the most generous score we're gonna give here. Iconography F. No one's heard of this. Like, like there's no mascot. There's nothing that like makes this a recognizable thing. Like it's got robots. Okay. Yeah, the fact that they couldn't even throw in like a like a Gundam skin or mm. something, you know. And, and maybe they did, but no one's heard of it. No one knows if they did or not. And Bandai Namco got a hold of them at some point, so you know. Uh, sales, we already mentioned that. That's an F. It did not do well at all. Yeah, that, that, that is an F. And the the reception, the you know, a D. What do you think? I think D's fair. Okay. Like it, the reviews aren't like this is the worst game ever made. It's just like who cares, right? So overall, like this is a tier franchise. I think this is an F plus. Yes, okay. I looked at all of the other Ds that we had, and they could at least crack a million units sold. Every and they once were in a while, at least yeah. had 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 some people that gave half a shit about it. Yeah, this, I think that this is this does not go in the same tier as Star Fox, which is a D tier franchise. <laughs> I know there are people listening Aww. that are super pissed when I say that, but you know, I think history is gonna. Uh, I, I mean, I do agree with you. It doesn't make me happy. I like Star Fox. I do agree. I even liked Star Fox Zero. Like I, I'm one of the few people who actually thought that was a pretty good game. But you know, it's it's a franchise in trouble. Um. All right, what do we got next? Why don't we go into the Nintendo? It's it's a pet simulation series. Okay. You get a virtual pet. Which, you know, it's, it's of course not a new idea to have a virtual pet. Those have been around for a long time. Um, but what, what you do with this one is uh, you, you feed it and you take it for walks. But you can also teach it tricks and, like, have it play with toys and that kind of thing. Uh, and it all uses the, the, the touchscreen. Mm-hmm. The two main entries in this series are in the DS and the 3DS. And they use the touchscreen to interact with your virtual pet. But not just that. It's like the, the touchscreen the micro, and the microphone and the the camera that uses facial recognition so that like the pet knows if it's you so it seems like it's a lot of ways it's uh using a lot of the interesting like hardware that they had at their disposal with the ds itself for sure and you see that a lot with uh a lot of uh, the the earlier ds games from like 2004 to 2006 where they're trying to use all of the features the ds has to offer the the touchscreen and the microphone and the, the 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 camera um but the uh, main entries uh, on this game produced by Hideki Kono, who is still a producer at Nintendo. He's most well-known for being the, the producer of the Mario Kart series. Uh, each entry of the Nintendogs games have different versions, kind of like Pokemon, um, with different dogs or cats on the 3DS version, because that's Nintendogs plus cats. Mm-hmm. You only get one dog. So if you want a new one, you have to basically start your game over and delete your dog, which is absolutely horrifying. Yeah. So make the right choice the first go around. Uh, the dog can run away. Like if you don't check in, like your your dog won't die, but your dog can leave. And then what what happens is is when you're like if you check in and you, you haven't like turned the game on in a few days, your dog is gone. You basically have to like go for a walk around the neighborhood where you would take it for a virtual walk and find it. And when you find it, you can bring it home with you. And, play frisbee again and then never talk to your nintendog again mm-hmm. are you ryan you want to tag in you got anything 
Oh, just to, because we didn't say, but it's developed by Nintendo EAD, which is about as close to yeah. the vest as any developer is for Nintendo. It is a de facto Nintendo. Yeah, like you said, two mm-hmm. titles, they were released six years apart, so there's not a very big window for this thing even existing. That said, Yowzer, um, these sales numbers are eye-popping. Um, we're looking at about 30 million sales combined across the two games. Uh, with the first one being the second best-selling DS game after the mainline Mario platformer. Um, yeah, about like 24, 25 million. Yeah, like... Nintendogs was huge, huge, huge on the original DS. Oh, absolutely, yeah. This game was um, enormous. To think that there is that it even outsells any Pokemon game. Like, yeah. none of them come close to this. Like, it's kind of... Not close, I shouldn't say. it's They come pretty close. But this one is absolutely sold the best um, on the DS, which was a console, a handheld console that sold a fuck ton, and uh, you know they sold a ton of titles on this. So yeah, and they and they got the DS out um, probably not intentionally, but just before smartphones uh, came out, and way before smartphones became uh, more of a mainstream thing. So you know you you they were able to get the uh, casual audience with things like Nintendogs and Brain Age, that sort of uh, more more casual type software that, you know, then then that audience is going to migrate over to smartphones. And we'll, as we'll see with like the, the 3DS follow-up, you're looking at like 5 million sales. So still quite good, really, really good to, to sell 5 million copies-ish uh, of this game, but still like a fifth of what the original did. Yeah, um, and, and I, we've already talked about a, a number of series that I've wanted to basically take over for Nintendo and, and just make <laughs> make on a mobile platform, just make for iOS and Android. And this really is a good example of one of those games where if they put the effort into it and made a good game like that and just, just gave it away for free but worked with microtransactions, um, they would probably make a ton of money off of this. It makes me queasy every time you say that, but not because you're wrong. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, it's it's fine like you know pokemon go is free to play and it has it has microtransactions i i'll aside from buying like community day things for a dollar like that's not a meaningful amount of money you know so yeah yeah for sure like i'm 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 really not opposed as someone that does play mobile games and has spent actual money on them like i'm i'm fine with playing a nintendogs game and again just make it free to play so everybody can try it out and if they like it then those people that do want to spend uh obscene amounts of money are welcome too. Oh, if you don't check in every day, your dog will wander off and you have to give them a dollar to get it back. That would be hilarious. <laughs> that would be so funny. They hold your dog hostage. Oh, God. <laughs> oh. Um, oh, my God. So I also want to bring up that not only did this get good reviews, there are some people that gave this great, great reviews. I think a lot of people um, thought of this as a... They, they, they noted the things we already talked about. They noted how, how um, ingenious the use of the hardware was, how addictive this game was, how, you know, it is such a novel concept and a new way of thinking of a way to even have a game. It's a pet simulator. It's not like an objective-driven game. Um, Famitsu, which is one of the biggest publishers in gaming, gave this a rare 40 out of 40. At the time it, that review was published, only four other games had perfect scores. Um... Keep in mind, as of today, there's now like 30 games with perfect scores, so their 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 measurement for what a perfect game is has definitely um, softened. It's loosened up a bit. But 
uh, still worth noting. Like, yeah, this game, you know, it got its flowers when it came out. People really, really appreciated it. Um, so, but I think that kind of generally covers what I had. It's, it's everyone loves pets. Pets are great. Like, so, you know, I have, I have analog cats, and man, they're great, but they are trouble. Sometimes I just want them to be digital cats. So. <laughs> I, I totally get it. I buy into this. <laughs> All those pesky an analog animals. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> uh, so, getting to some specifics here. For longevity, you get one game in 2005. You get another version of that same game in 2006. And then you get a sequel in 2011 as a launch game for the 3DS, along with Steel Diver. That is not the killer launch lineup, but that's what they had. Um, only two games in the span of six years and nothing since then. I went with a D for longevity. Agreed. I have it. I have a D as well. Uh, for iconography, I mean, they're dogs. Who doesn't love? And they're cats. Who doesn't love pets? This might be the most recognizable Nintendo character. The only character more recognizable than Mario. You show anybody a dog, they're going to say that's a dog. Yeah, exactly. Everyone knows what these are. S for iconography. Absolute S. Uh, for sales, I went with an A. Like what we said, the first game, absolutely massive. Second game had a pretty steep drop-off, but still very, very good. Really great sales for the second game as well. Yeah. Um, but just like the, the casual audience at that point had moved on to mobile phones. So. Mm -hmm. And then for reception uh, or prestige, uh, the first one reviewed better. The second one, things were still pretty positive. It, they, there is like uh, an annoying assist trophy in Super Smash Brothers for a Nintendog. Yes, yeah, the one where the dog jumps up on the screen or whatever. Yeah, it, it's it's weird. It's weird they haven't done another one. I mean, the Switch has a touch screen. Yeah, I think it's just it hard to justify, like, sitting there on your couch playing a game like that. I think this really is meant for people that play handheld. So, I don't know. I get it. I went, I went, with, a, I went with a B. I give it an A for reception, because, yeah, again, it, it, got, it did get some glowing reviews. All right, what'd you have overall? I have an A minus. Okay. okay. I, uh, not A minus, a low A. And if you think I'm being too generous, because that might be sounding a little too generous, I want to combine that this title sold more than Dr. Mario, Star Fox, Paper Mario, Luigi's Mansion, and Metroid. It also only sold... Uh, Kirby, the Kirby franchise, sold 10 million more units with 30 more games. <laughs> so, this game is kind of bonkers. I have it as a low A. Uh, I'm going to open our tier rankings real quick. So so putting in the A tier, like you're saying, puts it in the same tier as Splatoon yeah. and Kirby Splatoon's and Metroid. Been a, Splatoon's been around about as long. And then putting in the B tier, which will be the next tier down, of course, um, same as Dr. Mario, Fire Emblem, Paper Mario, Xenoblade... I don't know, Wes. What do you think? It, it's it's one of those things where, yeah, it, it's just because they haven't made another uh, like just put this weird stink on for me. I'm just like, uh, but yeah, it did really well. I I kind of agree with Ryan. Okay, works for me. I think you, if you put it in the B, it has to be the peak of B, and no other game is going to surpass this. Like it is either our lowest A or our highest B. I feel like. Because, I mean, other than longevity, it did great in everything else. So, I mean... Yeah, and it's only because... You can't, like, drag it down just because of longevity. Just because they haven't made another yeah, one. Yeah, it's, it's Nintendo's fault. It's Nintendo's fault. They know they've got this thing. You know, 
It's it's uh, the uh, what what do you call it? Uh, the opposite of kinetic energy. This 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 could be so great. I'm fine with uh, I'm fine with an A. I think that uh, I'm okay because it, it it feels weird. It feels weird putting it uh, like a, a, a franchise with only two entries. It feels weird putting it in the same one as like uh, Metroid and Kirby that have been around for so long and had so many games. But I also don't think it belongs with like Xenoblade and Fire Emblem, which are games franchises that I really really like. They're two of my favorite Nintendo franchises, but they they're yeah not achieving the same success as like one. Of the entries of Nintendogs. Well, you know what those two games should do? Get some fucking dogs. <laughs> put more fucking dogs in it, and maybe they could push some units. See, we, we, we do put like the rating of like how well this game reviews and everything like that, but at the same time, I'm not playing a Nintendo Dogs game. I'm not touching this thing. I much prefer playing a Xenoblade over this thing, so I hate putting it at A. I would, I would, I would for sure be a day one purchase if they came out with any Nintendo dogs. But that, that's why we do like these really scientific uh, methods. Because like, I would rather play a new Xenoblade, a new Fire Emblem. I'd rather play a new Doctor Mario. Let's pump the brakes. You're telling me you guys would not be stoked if they were like, guess what? Like, it's a Nintendo Direct, oh, oh, no. and like, guess who the fuck is coming back? Everybody. I, 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 would, I would absolutely buy a new Nintendo. But if we're talking about like yeah. what I would like personally like rather purchase, if we, even if we go down to the C tier, I'd rather play a new Earthbound. I'd rather play a new Bayonetta. I'd rather play a new Pikmin Advance Wars. No, no let's go all the way down to the D tier. I would rather play a new Star Fox. Lies. Lies. This is this. Is, you guys are heretics. What is this? Which was like I, I would still play new Nintendo, but just because my personal preferences, like personal preferences, aren't dictating where we're putting this in in the tier ranking. We're trying to be as objective as possible here, and I think objectively, Nintendo belongs more with Kirby and Metroid than it does with Fire Emblem and Luigi's Mansion. I I rather play with my actual dog. Although we yeah. may have to we may okay. have to find a. Uh, we, we may have to revisit Luigi's Mansion because I think I might need to bump up. But anyway, we'll, we'll talk about that another time. Um, the last one we have here is uh, Nintendo Labo. And I'll just go through this real quick. Uh, this is kind of like a hodgepodge series. I grouped a couple of different things into here. This is kind of like just the weird shit that they do with like cardboard and toys so we're looking at things like the the variety kit the robot kit the vehicle kit and the vr kit which were the things that came with like the cardboard that you would like uh, craft together to make these things like a backpack or vr goggles or an rc car and you would use the joy con and the uh switch like touchscreen and tablet interfaces to have them do things or like the variety kit had like the piano to it um, and, on, and also things like Toy-Con Garage, which is kind of an offshoot of Nintendo Labo, because it would like give you these, these game maker tools to sort of uh, program uh, your, your Joy-Con to interact with uh, Nintendo Labo or like do like basic programming type stuff with your Joy-Con. And that sort of morphs into Game Builder Garage, which is the game that came out in 2021, which was also another like decently like sophisticated programming tool where you could like make your own games or game templates um, using some some programming software that Nintendo had like that, that they sold as a game. So this is like a, a weird sort of like 
edutainment type stuff that Nintendo does. And they've done like some of this sort of stuff, like like Mario typing. That's more of like Mario franchise type stuff. Like they've dipped their toes into using like uh, uh, toys or paper craft to, to do like educational type stuff. But this is like when they started doing it for things like like programming, more like uh, uh, modern sort of educational type stuff rather than you know, like typing or math problems, that kind of thing. Um, and, and I like this sort of stuff. Uh, it reminds me of the, like the the legacy that Nintendo has as like a toy making company in the, the 1960s and the 1970s. They had a lot of like uh, not only electronic toys but non-electronic toys as well. That um, uh, the, the the guy who sort of invented the, the the Game Boy Gunpei Yokoi was a big part of the company and like their their toy making history around that point. Um, Ryan, you got anything about uh, Labo that you wanna? get in here before I get into some specifics? Mm, I mean, I think it's a cool concept. I think it's interesting that they're, again, like you call it, what is it, edutainment? That they're trying to essentially bring in real-life crafting and some light mechanical engineering into this, you know, and try, trying to incorporate it with the hardware that yeah. they have. Yeah. The, the um, fun part is not only, yeah. like, using the functionality with your Switch, but also, like, in building the shit. And I also noticed that it got tons of awards and not the kind of awards that you get from your traditional gaming publications yeah. or yeah. things like that. It's awards from um, like educators mm -hmm. uh, com coming up. Like, like it's, It seems like it's really not in the same space as these other games that we're talking about. It's a totally different concept. Yeah. yeah. And it's sold pretty well. Like for, for what it's worth. Um, I mean, it, it looks like at least the... Um, you're, you're looking at a bit more of expanded stuff, but the Labo alone sold a little over a million, like mm -hmm. one and a half million units. Like, that's impressive. That's pretty impressive. Yeah, not too bad for some cardboard kits. Uh, but just to get into the specifics, the longevity, I'm with the D. This is relatively new. The first kits came out in 2018, and then the uh, the, the Game Builder Garage was in 2021. So not been around for a super long time. Uh, iconography... It's not really associated with any franchise or IP. It's just paper and colors. So uh, I went with a D on that one. For sales, about a million, like you're saying. It, it does fine. It does fine. So that that's good enough for a C. And for the sort of reception, uh, like you're saying, wins tons of awards uh, for for things like uh, for educational stuff, like you were saying. Um, I went with a B. It's usually praised for its creativity and novelty rather than like the depth of functionality for all the stuff that you're doing here. Overall, I just went with a D. Yeah, I actually have a mid D on this one. I think that's appropriate. It does? Okay. Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah. 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 Uh, it, it'd be cool if they invested a little bit more into it, I guess. I don't know to what extent it mm. would you know, be worth it, but yeah. It's cool that it's out there. It's cool that that is something you can do with the console. Yeah, and uh, I'm sure at like, some point it might not be like Labo branded, but they always do this sort of like weird experimental stuff from time to time. So it kind of like continues the the sort of weird side of Nintendo that like when everyone else is doing like VR headsets, they're like, hey, cardboard robot toys. Yeah, that's where it's at. <laughs> yeah, you zig, they zag. All right. Any other uh, topics we need to address before we... Close it out here? No, I think we're good. No, this is pretty good. Next up is going to be the retro show. And we already... Already? Already onto the retro Hell show. Hell, gosh. Yeah. Feels like we just had one. What are a couple of highlights to look forward to here? Oh, Metroid Prime. 
End of list. <laughs> oh, sorry. Do, do you any highlight music to look forward to? Oh, any mu- music? Um, I think if you guys were gonna listen to some records, eh, I mean, I don't know what I would recommend. If you like hip hop, the Talib Kweli's quality is is very good. Some forty ones. Does this look infected? I think that's a fun one to listen to. <laughs> that's that's a gross album title. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. I don't know. Like a lot of it, I don't necessarily want to recommend because I don't even know if you guys would like enjoy them or like like Johnny Cash's um, American Four. The man comes around. That came out. Um, I got a few. I got a few that I'm gonna check out, including that uh, that Sum Forty One. There's a couple other ones that I have queued up to check out. Um, as far as like the the movies go, there's a, a James Bond mm. movie. I don't know I if it's. That. Yeah. I don't know if it's the last Pierce Brosnan one. But it's close. It is, yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's his final one before Craig takes over in like two thousand five or six, mm-hmm. I think. Um, kind of. What were there? There's the Harry Potter one. Um, yep. I watched a movie called Femme Fatale, um, sure. which is yep. directed by Brian De Palma. I watched Solaris. Oh. I watched Treasure Planet. I watched Solaris as well. That's a uh, Soderbergh. Yep. Um, there's and yeah, yeah, Eight Mile. Yeah. I haven't yeah. watched it yet, but I probably will. And of course, uh, HP and the Chamber of Secrets. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's uh, most certainly the big one of the month. But yeah, yeah it, it it gobbled up a lot of a lot of the box office interest. I think that was my least favorite book. Yeah, yeah, I think that one. Um. Yeah, I would probably say that one's my least favorite book. I thought it was pretty good. You never read. You don't, you don't know how to read. No, John just, just, John's just got the one book. He's got that one book he reads, and that's it. He, he, he reads comic books, and he's just looking comic at the Comic books in the Bible. Yep. <laughs> but also for the pictures. I'm sure there's like an illustrated comic book Bible we could get him. Well, I'm sure there is. Oh. <laughs> That'd be so good. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. I, I don't remember much. I remember, the, I remember the first couple books were like very plainly written and like for really young kids. Mm. I, feel, I feel like why does Adam have a six pack abs? What is this? Yeah, <laughs> I feel like as, yeah, as HP went along, the books got a little bit more adult. They kind of matured with the audience that read it. So yeah. Hmm. Well, and then we'll uh, wrap it up at the end of the month with uh, an official show. That's it. End of podcast. Yeah. So it all. Later, Gator.